You can be seated. Well, I am so glad to be here with you guys this morning. I'm really glad to have Pastor Mark and Judy back because I have people to heckle now. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, great to, uh, it's great that they're able to get away and get some rest and some vacation, and I'm really excited uh, for, you know, Pastor Mark to kind of re-engage and, and come back in and be, I know he's re-envisioned and, and uh, rejuvenated in spite of the 60-plus hours of, of travel in a car. I don't envy that, man, <laughs> but it's so good to have you guys back. Well, if, uh, if you guys, if you're joining us for the first time or if you've been uh, with us over the last couple of weeks, we have been in the, in the middle of a sermon series and, and today we're coming around the last bend in a sermon series that we're calling The Good Life. And, uh, and throughout this sermon series, if you, uh, if you have missed any part of this, if, you have, uh, if you've missed out, um, I really, really, really want to encourage you, go online to ecwesleyan.net. And you can listen to each of the messages within the sermon series because each one of them kind of builds off of the next and, and has brought us to the point that we're at today. And last week I made the statement that these messages would be online from now until the cows come home. And, uh, and last week, uh, I believe Chris, Chris Hedlund educated me that that's every 12 hours that the cows come home every 12 hours. So I've been living my entire life as a, like a, a non-committal lie, you know, where I'm like, yeah, I'll do that from now until the cows come home. Well, at least for the next 12 hours. Well, I want to tell you that those messages will be up from, from more than 12 hours, um, probably from now until the internet dies um, or sometime in between the cows coming home and the internet no longer being a thing. But uh, in this series, in this series, we've all kind of come to a place where we've admitted that we all really, really, really want the good life. We really want uh, a life that's, that's, uh, that's good, that, that we're content in. And, and, uh, and, and some of us, we, we might see that as different things as we think about what the good life really looks like. Um, for some, it's, it's, it's having the right stuff or, or enough money in the bank or, or respect from the right people or power or pleasure. We, but, but throughout all of this, we've identified that the good life, the definition of the good life is this. The good life, and if you remember it, say it with me, the good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. Let's say that one more time. The good life is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. The good life is what happens when we take our faith and we all have faith of some sort or another, whether it's faith that the air that you breathe is not gonna kill you, that the seat that you sit in is gonna, is gonna hold you, that the vehicle that you have is gonna get you to, from point A to point B. We all have faith in something. And in Jesus, we have, a, we have somebody that we can put our faith in. And it's not just that we put our faith in Jesus and, and it just adds to our faith, but it exponentially multiplies the possibility of what can happen as we are people who live out of faith. And within that, not only, not only do we have a person in which we can fix our faith on, but we also have a, a gift that we're given in the midst of that. It's a gift called grace. It's unmerited favor. It's, it's God pouring his favor out on us. And not only does he give that to us, but he gives us the opportunity to give it away to others as well. 
And, and in order to do that, we have to keep ourselves in check and we have to keep each other in check by authentic relationships of accountability with each other and also with God. We, we ask questions like, like, are we good? Like, God, is, are, am I showing you through my life? Is Jesus Christ alive in my life today? Am I walking in the presence of the Holy Spirit? And as we do this, Jesus teaches us how to live the Christian life by the example that he set out. And this is an example that teaches us to be self-controlled. It, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and sin, but yes to the movement of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And like I said last week, it's less marchy and it's more dancey. It's less of a march. It's less about rigid religion and it's more about this fluid, loving relationship, this dance. There's a rhythm to it as we walk with God every day. And through all of this, We've been following a letter of an encouragement and instruction from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Titus who urges Titus to encourage the church, God's people, to devote themselves to doing what's good so that they're prepared to meet the urgent needs that are all around them and so, and so that they don't live unproductive lives. And that same charge is available to us today. Remember, we talked about this. We are living in a world that, that's in desperate need of seeing the goodness of God lived out all around us. It's, it's, it wouldn't, and, and wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be absolutely amazing if every single Christian in this church, in our city, in our state, in our nation, wouldn't it be absolutely amazing if every single Christian did this one small thing? If we devoted ourselves to doing what is good in order to promote Jesus. Wouldn't it be absolutely fascinating if there was not a news outlet that you went to, if there was not a, a, an online website, if, if, if there was not a, a radio station or a TV station in which a part of their newscast was the unavoidable stories of God's people doing good in the name of Jesus. I mean, that's news that I would watch. I would tune in for that. Well, speaking of, of news, back in January uh, in, in Japan, there was, a, there was this marathon that was hosted. It was, uh, it was a 100-kilometer marathon. Now, if, if you can't do that conversion in your head, I, I can't, so I, I looked it up and I wrote it down. That's 62 miles and 241.3 yards. I'm really not sure why a person would choose to run that distance unless it was like either two food or away from a pack of bears. Like, and I'm not talking about like the, the, the Chicago bears, you know, that's a, that's a whole different thing. But uh, I'm not sure why anybody, why anybody would choose to do that, but apparently this is an international thing. This is, a, this is, a, this is an international sport, and this international competition was, was being hosted in Japan with competitors from all, all across the globe. Well, as the race was drawing to its close, Kenyan runner uh, Paul Cura was in step to coming in second place. And he was so fixed and so focused on that end goal that Cura did not see the little black dog run right in front of him. And he tripped right before the finish line. The accident cost him second place. He finished 12th. The dog and the runner are both all right, and the Baja men still don't know who let the dog out. 
They're going to be so glad you're back, Mark. <laughs> My jokes are just going downhill from there. But how, dis but how disheartening would that be, though? I mean, how disheartening all of that training, all of that travel to, to go from podium to pavement in like one misstep. No one wants to trip before the finish line. And that's why this last part of the letter of to Titus is so vital as we close out this discussion on the good life today. This morning, we're going to be looking at, at Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. It's going to be on the screen, but if you want to use your devices or your own Bible that you brought with you, if you have neither and you don't want to look at the screen, um, the Bible in front of you, page uh, 966, it's going to be on there. And we're going to go ahead and, and uh, dive into this today. Paul writes to Titus, Remem remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. At this time, at one time, you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the eternal, the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarreling about the law because these things are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You can be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Well, with, with a passage like this, we need to unpack it. And there are a few points that we need to talk about to make sure that you and I don't trip before the finish line. Remember, the finish line is, is not when we feel like we're done. The finish line is not when we feel like we've done enough good, not when we feel like we've satisfied a quota or we've, we've grinded out enough karma or anything like that. The finish line is when Jesus calls us home. And, and so here, Paul instructs us on how to finish well. And instruction number one is this, respect race management. Respect race management. We, we have a really, really funny relationship with authority, don't we? Like, we really like our people in power. Like, we like, we like people who share our opinions, who share our values. Um, we like those to be the people in power because, generally speaking, they're going to do the things that we want them to do. And they're going to do the things that we're already used to doing anyway. So, no bigs. You know, there's no, there's no tension there in that relationship. But we struggle. Man, we struggle really hard. When somebody is in a position of authority that we may, not dis we may not agree with them or we disagree with some of their policies or some of the things that they change. 
But, but if we truly believe the things that God has already said through the scriptures, we'd understand that authority is actually given by God and that time and time again, that we're reminded to show respect to authority figures, to pray for them, and to make their jobs a joy. I mean, Jesus himself, who had all authority, he even, in, in, as he was walking on this earth, he still submitted himself to authority. He even paid taxes. It's crazy to think that, but, but, that's, but he did that. Well, a few weeks ago, I had, um, I had posted on, on Facebook that uh, there's a particular style of music which I, I really, really appreciate. I love punk rock. I love a good three-piece, like, drums, bass, guitar, punk rock. Like, I, it, there's just something about that style of music that I really, really like. And I know that, like, in the past, it's been, like, categorized as being, like, the music of the anarchist or the, you know, the, the rebel or, the, you know, the, being anti-establishment. But it's, it's kind of matured from there a little bit. But I don't necessarily like that part of it. Um, but I, I like the, I like passion, impassioned music. Anyway, so I had posted this and a, and a friend had sent me a message and he was like, hey, have you ever considered being a Christian anarchist? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, those two terms, like they, I'm not really sure that they, they go very well together, but it really kind of made me start thinking about this a little bit that, you know, when, when we look at, a, at figures of authority, especially, especially political figures of authority, how easy is it for us to engage in, in degrading conversations? I think in our effort as, as Christians to, to become a part of political solutions or political conversations, which we should, um, and conversations about being a part of the solutions and the needs of our nations, which we should, um, much of that conversation ends up degrading to putting people down that we forget that these are people who are made in the image of God just as we are and that they are in just as much of need of the grace of God as I am. And Paul instructs Titus. Paul instructs Titus to remind people to subject themselves to the rulers and authorities to be peaceable and considerate, not slandering anyone. I think we forget like in the, in the slander that like the better thing really would be for us to pray for them. But Paul would also instruct them to be helpful, to be ready to do what's good out of gentleness for everyone. And this is, I think, a huge place where we get tripped up at the very beginning of the race. But I think that a lot of that angst comes out of a good place. A mentor of mine once said that as we were talking about conflict, and I was experiencing a particularly uh, rough conflict at that point in my life, and I was trying to understand it and wrap my head around it about why this thing was such a big deal to the person that it was a big deal to. And, and, uh, and he, said, he said, Damien, I found that conflict really boils down to one of two things. It's either mismatched values or it's misunderstanding or miscommunication. And hear me out here. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that the biggest angst that you experience, the biggest frustration and conflict with leadership that you have really comes down to a differing in values or a mismatched understanding? What if, what, if instead of, what if instead of doing this thing that we're all like really, really like, we, we all do this thing where like, you know, I have a problem with somebody and so instead of talking to that person, I go talk to somebody else. So now they have a problem with the person that I had a problem with. What if instead of like triangulating like that, like what if instead that we approach conversations with people that we may not agree with, we may not share, see eye to eye on, what if we went to them 
seeking understanding, prayerfully asking God, how can I be a person of peace within these situations? What, what would happen if we sought understanding to see why they're passionate or supportive of the things they are? We, we may never agree. We may never agree, but, but wouldn't it be better to have a continued conversation than to slam a door just simply because we don't like what's behind it? I can tell you, I can tell you from personal experience that there are people, there are people in my life who I will, I will never see eye to eye with, but I love them. And my desire for them is that they see the love of Jesus in me and that they grab hold of that love of Jesus as well. Don't get me wrong here. We are people of conviction. Sin will always be sin, no matter how, what it's dressed up in. Sin is sin is sin. And we deal with that. But in order that we don't get tripped before the finish... And in order for us to bring as many along as we can, we need to make sure that we, number two, check our laces. I don't know about you um, when you get a new pair of shoes, but I find that the laces are always undone or the shoes are poorly laced. I mean, I kind of, I, Pastor Mark kind of, he was in first service, so he heard me say this, which is the whole shoe comment earlier, but... I have weird sized feet. I have either a, I either wear a, a, a 14 wide or 15 dependent on the shoe. I just have odd shaped feet. But I find that like every time that I get a new pair of shoes, I have to relace them because otherwise the shoe won't fit on my foot the way that it's supposed to fit. And, and every time I put my shoes on, I have to remember that I was taught how to actually tie my shoes. And when I repeat those steps, the laces are in the right place on the shoe, and the shoe fits properly. Now, how many of you are like me, and you're like, you just kind of leave the shoe tied, and you slip your, your foot in it? Yeah, all right, this is confession time. Uh, but, you know, the, but sometimes, sometimes, you know, when you do that, the shoe doesn't fit all the way, and, 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 and when the, the shoe isn't laced properly, it's, it's very easy for us to get tripped up. Well, much like new shoes, our life in Christ begins in a place where we're a mess and we're unraveled in our sin. And, but, he, but, but in him, we live and we move and our, we have our being and in his loving kindness for us, he secures our hope in him and life forever with him by the justification that he gives us by his grace. He taught us how to, to tie our shoes when we didn't know how to. And this is a great daily reminder for us because we received this from him. We have, to, we have to remember where we came from, that we didn't intrinsically know how to do this, that he had to come alongside of us and show us by his grace how to live and move and have our being. And there's actually kind of an irony in in, in our relationships with people that we get aggravated with, kind of like leadership, whether it's leadership or whether it's a family member or a neighbor or a friend or coworker, many times the thing that we get aggravated about are some of the things that maybe they were things that we struggled with. How many times, how many times do we look at, at where somebody else is at and we see if we were to really boil it down to the elemental level 
We'd see areas of our own foolishness or our own disobedience to God or lies that we believed or passions or pleasures that we chased. And I think a lot of times we get frustrated when we see those things in other people because we know the roads that those things lead down. But remember, you too once, you too once lived lives that were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Me too. We've got to remember that you can be 100% right and 100% wrong at the same time. Ravi Zacharias, he's a, he's a Christian apologist and great, great speaker. He says this, he says, If truth is not undergirded by love, it makes the possessor of truth obnoxious and the truth repulsive. It's vital for us to remember that, that when we check our laces, we remember that God was and he is gracious to us in our times of greatest struggles, in those areas of weaknesses. And as we follow them, he is the one that's taught us to say no. But sometimes the people that we're, we're struggling with, they may not be in that place. And this is where you and I need to allow that frustration to be turned to compassion. It's interesting, Matthew records Jesus in this moment where the, the crowds are gathering, this multitude is gathering, and, and Jesus saw the crowds, and it says that he saw that they were helpless and harassed, and he had great compassion on them. And when we do this, we earn the right to be able to share what God has done in us and how He alone has given us the renewal of life by His Holy Spirit. And it teaches us how to, number three, learn to navigate whatever the course throws at you. For Titus, it was, it was conversations about, it was controversies and, 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 and geological pedigrees. This wasn't that they were arguing about you know, it wasn't that they were arguing about, uh, you know, whether or not they should, they should know where they came from, but it was more an argument of, of pedigree or which, which family trees were better. There were people that were trying to track their lineage so that they could say, ah, I'm from a better tribe than you are, or I'm from a better place than you are. So for Titus's people, he, Paul said, don't get wrapped up in these things. Don't get wrapped up in controversies. Don't get wrapped up in geological pedigrees and arguments about how the law is interpreted, interpreted and who, the best, who has the best interpretation. They were majoring on the minors and completely missing out on what was directly in front of them. Much like the runner in that marathon, he just didn't see the dog. And let's face it, there, there are all sorts of things that we can find ourselves getting hung up on too. And they're, they're distractions and they usually aren't bad things. It's just we find ourselves fixating on them. When, when, I, was in, when I was in college, I had a, uh, a 1994 Chevy Astro van named Sheila. I promise it didn't look like you. Uh, there's a whole other story behind that. But... But I joked around in college. I didn't really, I didn't really date much in college, and I, I used to joke around that, that I didn't do that because God knew I couldn't afford a girlfriend because I had a minivan. Um, but, uh, but, in, but one of the things I found out was that, that um, during moments or seasons where, where God had presented these opportunities of ministry to me, and they were great opportunities, I would always find that I would have relational issues and I would have issues with the stupid van which frustrated me so much. Parts falling off, things not working the way that it should. 
Or I wouldn't sleep, and I had no, no good explanation why I couldn't sleep. There were these three things that I would get so fixated on these things that I'd get distracted. I'd get distracted from the other thing or the better thing that God had in front of me. I'd get tripped up in the midst of things until I started to see the patterns and started to learn that, hey, there are always going to be distractions. There are always going to be things that take our eyes off of Jesus. But remember, the good life, a life that is you plus faith times Jesus and grace is not without its issues. We live as a broken people in a broken world which God is redeeming through Jesus. And when we fix our faith and our eyes on Jesus, we navigate the course with grace that he helps us deal with the distractions while not getting tripped up by them. And how we deal with them matters. How we deal in the midst of the distraction matters because finally, we need to make sure that we don't disqualify ourselves. Don't disqualify yourself. Paul closes out these last words with a stern warning. It is possible to get so close to the finish line and disqualify yourself by causing division between people and within the church. And when he talks about people who gossip, and when he's talking about this, he's talking about people who gossip about, other, about others, whose attitudes are rebellious and whose hearts are closed off to any type of correction. And Titus is instructed to warn these people twice. Well, while Titus was a Gentile or non-Jewish man, he, he would have traveled with Paul for long enough to get to know Paul's culture. And in Jewish culture, if you repeat something more than once, this is really, really important. It's really vital that you get this. So if you say something once, okay, you say it again, okay, we better write this down. This is important. As a matter of fact, Paul would call people like this heretics. He said they are willingly and willfully choosing to not follow Jesus' command in favor of self-government. And I think that kind of grates against us like a little bit in our America, American ideologies of like, you know, us first. But Paul is saying, man, these people are getting so hung up on these things that they're, they're missing the point. They're missing out. They're disqualifying themselves because they're wanting to govern themselves and not follow Jesus first. And if we want to finish well, we must be careful that we don't do the same. And, we, and rather than writing this off, because I know it's easy to hear something like this or read something this, like this and say, that's not me. But we need to take a minute and allow God to, to, to take inventory of the heart. If Jesus is calling us to a life that's full of grace and truth, if we shelve grace in order to be right or we shelve truth in order to be liked, we cause division between what's godly and good, trading the vibrant image of himself that God desires in us for dead religion made in our own image. Paul says people like this are self-condemned, that they, they can't say that they weren't warned. And the same is true for us as well. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't trip before the finish line. But if you've tripped, remember, there is still grace and the race isn't over. On August 16th, Team USA's Abby D'Agostino and New Zealand's Nikki Hamblin collided around the 2,000 meter mark 
during the qualification heat of the women's 5,000-meter race. Hamlin fell in front of D'Agostino, causing her to fall as well onto the rough track. Laying on that track, the cameras caught the anguish on both of their faces, the pain from scraped skin, the embarrassment of tripping on the world stage, and the realization that you, as well as your country's dreams of success, ended with you. But something happened in this competition. Abby D'Agostino stood up and on seeing her competitor, the cause of her own falling, laying on the ground, she stopped, stooped down, picked her up, and encouraged her not to quit. The two would finish the heat, qualifying for the next race. D'Agostino with a torn ACL and meniscus. While she did not compete in the medal competition due to her injuries, the International Olympic Committee awarded Abby D'Agostino and Nikki Hamblin with the Fair Play Award for exemplary sportsmanship. Here's why I tell you that story. On August 27th, Abby posted this picture uh, of herself on Instagram in front of the Christ Redeemer, the Redeemer statue in Rio. And the caption that she writes in this picture is this. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And she continues by, say, by writing this. Right before the 5K last week, I felt drawn to write the first six words of this verse on my hand. Now I know why. Jesus, you've done it all. And it has been my absolute joy to thank you. The good life is something that God desires for us here and now so that you can experience not only relationship with him in the present but there's also the hope of a future remember 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 that God's not a liar he has prepared a place for you in the life after this one and in, and right here and right now it's it while we wait for that it's not about sitting on our our hands or twiddling our thumbs but choosing to be a part of God's restoration work right here and right now but it can only be happen it can only happen when we live life on God's terms not my terms that we don't trip before the finish. And it's a good life. It's a life that is you plus faith times Jesus and grace. Let's pray. God, this morning as, uh, as we close out this message series, We've ended each one of these services by singing the song Sovereign Over Us. And, and God, as we think about this, this race of life that, we're, that we are running together, 
God, I, I pray that no one would trip before the finish, that we wouldn't disqualify ourselves, but our eyes would be fixed on you, the one who knows the course and knows how to deal with the distractions. And so God, as we sing the song, may this be a declaration of, of recognition that you are sovereign over us, that even in the valleys that you are faithful and that you are working things out for our good. God, would you be honored as we take this and go from here. We love you. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?